If you are like me and know that free enterprise is the greatest opportunity in the world, but you also see there are huge issues starting to arise, like why is mentorship decreasing in popularity? Why do entrepreneurs like us who love to succeed see people fail at the top and never leave true significance? And how do people like us make a lasting impact on the world? And is it possible for enough entrepreneurial leaders together to make a real difference? These are the blaring questions, and this podcast is the answer. During with me, your host, Christian. Together, we will challenge the status quo and conquer our legacies. Thank you so much for tuning in to Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. My name is Christian, your host, Christian D. Evans. And guys, we have someone really, really incredible. We're going to be talking about some really fun stuff. So you got to keep and listen to the whole thing, guys. We have an incredible guest. He has been in the medical uh, uh, industry, healthcare industry for 66 years. 2020, he spent three decades as a cosmetic surgeon after a career as an emergency physician. His generalist training gives him perspective and allows him to avoid favoring any medical specialty. So we're going to be diving into some really crazy stuff with Big Pharma and things like that. He is also the author of Butchered by Healthcare and also just incredible man that just knows remarkable amount about the industry. And guys, we're going to be diving into some good stuff. My guest, Robert Yoho. How are you doing, my man? Christian, I'm thankful. I'm grateful for the nice introduction. And I got to remind you that I'm 68 years old now, and I haven't been in the medical industry for 66 years. I didn't start until I was 20 or something like that, or 22. But so you've been it's, in the industry for how yeah. long? Correct, correct me if I'm wrong. How long have you been in it? Because you've been in it for well, quite a while. You graduate, you get into medical school when you're 21 or 22. So I've been in the industry since then. Gotcha. So I'm well, 68, whatever that is. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a long time, a lot longer than I have, and I'm really uh, excited to dive into this. Uh, but before we dive into this, kind of tell me your journey. Uh, I mean, going from you know surgeon to you know f- physician to you know generalist. What what did that look like, and and kind of what what led you down that that path? So, I was a Boy Scout once, but I don't think that's germane. I was an Eagle Scout. So you know how far back uh, you want me to go? I can tell you, I went to you know, medical school, I uh, graduated, I did uh, postgraduate training in um, dermatology and internal medicine, and, uh, and uh, finally board certified in emergency medicine. And uh, then I worked as a family practitioner, I've kind of had a spotty background, or maybe a varied background, that I think enabled me to think outside of the box. And uh, finally, I ended up in cosmetic surgery for the bulk of my career. And I spent my time doing um, breast augmentations and liposuction and facelifts and stuff like that, you know, injecting Botox. I mean, it, it was a crazy thing. And towards the last third of my career, I started prescribing bioidentical hormones for women who were in menopause, primarily women, because, you know, cosmetic surgery, as the joke goes, uh, has only one problem. And that's the women, and it's all women. <laughs> you know, it's only one problem, right? <laughs> so, uh, so I started trying to tune them up. I mean, most uh, plastic surgeons operate on a string of depressed people and anxious people, trying to treat their own uh, depression and so on with surgery, and that sometimes works, but it's it's not the primary source of their problem. And I I I think I did more good with the, with the hormone prescriptions to people that had 
crash their hormone levels after their their maturity, so to speak, in their older age uh, than I did with a cosmetic surgery. I mean, the pa patients are very happy with cosmetic surgery in general. Uh, you know, they get their breast dog and they can go out and complete it, compete in the marketplace of, uh, you know, all this stuff. But uh, the hormone therapy was just virtually uh, miraculous. And I ended up writing a book about it, um, Hormone Secrets. And so we can chat about that a little bit if you'd like. Uh, but it, that prescribing the hormones was how I got into healthcare corruption. Because these things, the you know, progesterone, estrogen, and testosterone have these black box warnings on them. In other words, it's a severe warning uh, for a physician or a patient to read uh, about how these things can be injurious or dangerous. And they were purported to have, uh, you know, blood clots and heart attacks and cancer and all kinds of crazy stuff. And basically, it just wasn't true. They actually, in general, reduced the risks of those things. So I started looking and diving in and sniffing around. And during the last several years of my career, started looking at medical corruption very seriously. And I, I just spent all my time. It became an obsession for about three years to, to look at all the stuff behind the scenes. And I eventually wrote this Butchered by Healthcare book, which is, uh, you know, it's a Amazon category bestseller, and it's got uh, 200 uh, five-star reviews. And it's, you know, it doesn't make me a dime. I mean, I'm it's a passion project, but it sells 30 copies a day or 20 copies a day or something like that on Amazon. And it tells about all the different areas of corruption in our medical uh, practice and the medical uh, organization and the corrupt companies and big pharma and all that stuff. And it's just it's a stunning thing for people that have never gotten into it. There are very few physicians know all this stuff and it's entirely derivative. In other words, I didn't do any original research. I just reported the research of whistleblowers in the various categories. So that's, that's the story. And I've been retired for three years. So I, um, you know, I spend my time writing and blogging and I become very concerned about the, um, the harms of the vaccine, you know, the COVID vaccine and all the, the fraudulent activity that went, went uh, around it to uh, lock us down and cause all kinds of national and international problems. It's, it's, it's been this huge power grab by some very wealthy global predators. Well, you're exactly right. And what I'm intrigued with, and we'll dive into the, the, the vaccine here shortly, but what I'm so intrigued with is when you were in that health industry for so long, and then all of a sudden, like you mentioned earlier in the phone uh, before our, our, our interview here, you took the red pill. And yeah, what, no what, what, did, what did that feel like? And, and realize, oh my gosh, you're doing a full 180 and, and you know, going a whole different direction because this is very unorthodox to think the way you think. And it's, it's very refreshing in this regard. Well, the answer to that, Christian, is I nibbled at that pill for years. For It took me three years. And it, with the recent events, uh, they just are hitting us like a sledgehammer. And I, for the last six months, I've been red pilling myself more about, I mean, I didn't consider um, the, uh, you know, the pandemic or any of these things to be my purview, right? And I, for the last six months, I've been studying that. And that's a further fall back on the floor in, in uh, amazement, uh, red pill. I mean, it's just sick. And uh, so, I mean, it, it, I'm ashamed of my colleagues. 
I mean, basically, very few of them seem to understand what's going on, and even fewer are stepping up. And I'm, I basically, I'm, I'm almost disgusted with my career as a part of the whole thing. Now, I'm, I was largely outside of it. I had a cash pay practice of cosmetic surgery for the last, you know, 35 years plus, And that isn't really part of the medical corruption. Um, the corruption is all the money streaming in from these corporations that influence the practice of medicine and change the relationship between the doctors and the patient. And they basically ruin our ability to do what's right for the patient, which that's the number one ethic of in, in medicine. It's not do no harm. Do no harm is absurdly simple uh, because you always run a risk of doing harm. You want to take the best risk and you want to treat the patient as you would treat your relatives or yourself. That's the, that's the central ethic. And you want to put them first. Well, that's not being done anymore. They're just being milked like cows uh, for their insurance money and the federal government, uh, Medicare money and so on. It's, it's just a, it's such a sick scene. I I mean, we're, it's basically some of these treatments that we do are almost seem like they were designed purposefully to keep people sick and to keep people addicted to drugs long-term. And I, I think that uh, most, most of the origins of the drugs and everything else is, you know, most of these people aren't uh, evil, but uh, in aggregate, it's a tremendously evil thing. And United States, you may know this, but United States spends twice what any other country does per capita on medical care. It's $4 trillion roughly. And other countries, I mean, Singapore gets by with 4.5% of their gross domestic product. We spend roughly 20% of our gross domestic product on healthcare. It's an outrage. And our, our results are in the toilet. We, we've got, we're like 20th in all these different metrics of um, how well our healthcare system is performing. I mean, it's, it's just freaking horrible. And so I, I described how it all could have developed. And I also um, ultimately tried to explain how individual patients can cope with it. Well, and what's interesting to me is obviously you being in the medical field for so long, it builds much more credibility, right? Because you know the industry, you've been in and out of it. And so, Robert, what was the tipping point? What was the thing that was like, okay, you know, there's a lot of information, like you said, but what was that tipping point? You're like, okay, I got to do something. I, I got to write a book. I got to, you know, uh, like you mentioned, just really share the message. Well, I'm Christian. I'm like Rip Van Winkle. I was asleep for decades and I was part of the whole thing. And I assumed the best of everyone. And I respected my colleagues. Uh, but as I said, I, I started to learn about the problems with bioidentical hormones. And uh, basically these things are the best medications we've ever had. I mean, they, we have over a hundred years experience with thyroid. We have 70, 80, 90 experience years of experience with the other major hormones. And even though and our modern hormones are even better, they're bioidentical. They're identical to human body components. The older hormones weren't, they were synthetic or they were derived from animal uh, things. Thyroid, the still the best thyroid is porcine thyroid. And, and there are so many mendacities and frauds surrounding hormone prescribing now. I mean, we, we're, we had this, uh, the most expensive study in history, nearly a billion dollars uh, spent was called Women's Health Initiative. And that was in the early 2000s, it was published. 
And that thing uh, was completely ruined by the authors for an agenda. And the agenda was to destroy the um, credibility of bioidentical hormones. And, you know, the, the commentators have torn it to shreds since. But as you probably understand, a bell once rung cannot be unrung. And everybody's been, you know, they've been, they have been repeating lies about hormones ever since. For example, estrogen and breast cancer. You've heard that lie. It, estrogen is, does not increase the chance of breast cancer at all. The synthetic progesterone that was used in that study, which was outmoded at the time that it was published, it was basically obsolete. Uh, that has a very slight increase in um, uh, breast, that creates a very slight increase in breast cancer. Your video just went out. Well, I'm still right here. And um, so that's just interesting to see kind of what you're talking about in that regard. And so my question, though, in specifically with women and when you when you realize that, that that's happening and that's being pushed, why do you think that is? Is it just because of money and it just because they, they can it's a cash cash cow? Why is that? F follow the money, dude. <laughs> follow the money. The reason is that these drugs are so effective, they would eliminate the need for many other drugs such as cholesterol medication. Cholesterol medications, I believe, are the most prescribed medications in history in terms of volume, I, or at least maybe it's the financial uh, uh, you know, profits from it and all that stuff. But these things could be used. See, many of our problems are related to declining hormones in later, later life. And you know, everybody calls women hormonal. Where, well, they are. I mean, they, 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 even the young ones frequently have problems that can be improved with hormone therapy. I mean, for example, the PMS thing, uh, um, that is very well treated with progesterone. It's just a lack of progesterone in the second half of their cycle. And you can turn these women into, um, you know, happy campers with just oral progesterone. It's easy. Uh, but this stuff is suppressed because, you know, they're trying to sell antidepressants and all this other horrible stuff. I mean, the psychiatric industry is probably the, the most corrupt of all the medical specialties. They've got, they've got uh, approaching 20% of us on their medications. And that's, that's just absurd on the face of it. Um, they, they, they treat people with uh, medicines with tremendous side effects. For example, the SSRIs, the uh, Prozac style uh, antidepressants have a violence rate that is consequential. It's not, it's not something you can write off that it's a very low percent. It, it causes thoughts of suicide and violence to uh, a large number. I mean, a third or a quarter of the people who take them and then a few people act on this stuff. And we think some of our school shootings have been related to that. They also use a class of medications. They pass this stuff out like jelly beans for very casual indications. They give patients a, a form to fill out, which has a checklist. And if, if you hit the criteria, they write the prescription for something. They could be committing people to a lifetime of this stuff. And it's, it's very toxic and it's not, and it's addictive as hell. And the, it's as a general rule, the psychiatric drugs have never been confirmed to work properly using placebo controlled trials. In other words, sugar pill, some of them have, but it basically as a, as a group, they, they haven't been studied properly. And so a second drug they use is called, they're called uh, atypical antidepressants. And those things knock 10 to 20 years off of your lifespan. I mean, as well, it's acknowledged and clearly shown. 
Um, they use amphetamines to the point where we have a third of our Ivy League kids with prescriptions for amphetamines or their related things. And the, even the people who originally were enthusiastic about this thing are coming out of the closet and they're saying, this is freaking crazy. We don't need to have our kids on this stuff. They cause brain shrinkage in animals. They, there are all kinds of problems with it. So um, the psychiatry, there's a large group of people who think psychiatry should not be in existence. They're, you know, the psychiatry deniers. And this is, these are people besides just Scientologists. Scientologists somehow took the red pill quite early. I don't know why, but they figured it out. And uh, uh, the rest of us should be more aware that this, uh, this uh, group and these drugs are bad, bad news. I mean, once you've been on Prozac or another SSRI for five years, I mean, it's almost impossible to get off the damn stuff. Uh, you, you, you know, there are ways you can taper it using smaller and smaller doses, but I mean, it doesn't work very well and you might as well just forget it and take some dose of the medication indefinitely. Um, you know, the people go off these things and they have tremendous anxiety and depression and they think, well, I've got a, you've heard this chemical, uh, chemical, uh, uh, deficiency in the brain thing. You've heard that about the SSRIs, right? I'm sure you have. So yes. that was invented by a marketing department in a pharmaceutical company that has no, no, uh, that has no uh, uh, credibility in science whatsoever. Um, so uh, they, they go off these medications and they have a tremendous anxiety and depression, but that is a medication withdrawal. That is not their original problem. And Originally, these uh, entities, these um, uh, psychiatric problems were thought to wax and wane. They increased and decreased. But um, in other words, they were thought to be self-limited within a few months and people outgrew, outgrew them. But now they get on these medications and they're stuck forever on the medications. Some of the worst ones get shots every month uh, forcibly. And uh, we've our welfare roles, our people on chronic disability, have increased proportionally to the medication use. Now you can say, well, maybe that's not causal, but uh, a lot of the smart commentators think it is caused. The, the medication use it ha has caused the uh, increase in the, the disability and, and so on. So I'm curious, Robert, because you, you've mentioned a lot. And, and my biggest question is as we, as we go through life, uh, you know, an individual, average individual like myself, how do you decipher what's true and what's not, what to believe and what's not? Where do, where do you find that? Because there's just, you know, let's be honest, Robert, there's just, we're bombarded by all sorts of shenanigans and oh, the, the FDA says this, or the Billy Bob says this or whatever. Right. Um, and, and now we realize that we really can't trust some of the things that we used to always trust. And so, you know, for being in the, in the industry for so long, um, I would imagine that's probably a big issue. So how would we average individuals, you know, decipher through this? That's a great question. You've put your needle in the center of the problem. And that is um, the worst thing that's going on right now is the destruction of the U.S. Constitution and the censorship, which is our First Amendment rights. And the censor, the First Amendment, if your listeners aren't careful constitutional scholars, and I certainly never was before this started, and I really am, am not now, the First Amendment, the freedom of speech, is the thing that defines America. It's the absolute thing that few other countries have, and we still have it to some degree, but allowing these tech companies to censor us is, is an outrage. And uh, basically, the economic forces... Maria Flores. Sorry. 
the economic forces have been so overwhelming to towards um, promoting the medications and promoting the various agendas that it's, it's, it, it seems impossible for these corporations and these individuals to, to resist. I mean, one, one of the, the whistleblowers about COVID was offered a million dollars bonus and $50,000 a month to stop writing about um, uh, Pfizer. It was offered by Pfizer, all this money. So uh, how do we figure this out um, when our medical journals are prostitutes? Their editors are paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year by the medical industry. I mean, I'm just going to give you an example in the medical literature of how fouled up it is. And the corporate ghostwriters write 95% of their articles and the authors, the quote authors are paid huge fees just to use their names. So, you know, in law, business or government, bribes like these could result in firing or criminal prosecution, but it's accepted practice in healthcare. So, you know, we've got, we've got the, basically we've got the big five medical journals and of those, there's only one man standing. That's the British medical journal. And they, they wrote a uh, editorial a, a year ago or nine months, six months ago in July, 2021, it was entitled time to assume that health research is fraudulent until proven otherwise. So, Peter Gercho, one of the founders of Cochrane Reviews, which is the most respected source remaining in medicine, he wrote, the pervasive scientific misconduct has led to a research literature where one has to dig deeply to find the few gems among all the garbage. So that's that's medical, quote, science. It's it's turned to S-H-I-T. And um, you, you have a hard time relying on any of it. Now, we all know that internet searches are controlled by Google. They probably could can influence uh, uh, election results by 10 to 15%. And we can leave a, um, a, a reference in your show notes about this and, and, and how we know that. And we also know that Wikipedia is a pile of steaming garbage, right? Because that's uh, edited for the, the big... Uh, the big monetary interests. And so let me, if, if you, if I may, I want to go into pharma and, uh, and talk about how they, uh, they dominate uh, things and, and the whys and the wherefores about that before I, I answer your question directly, which is how, what the heck can we do to make, to, to get proper information? Yes, please. Definitely. Okay. So Big Pharma is the most criminal industry in history. They have $80 billion worth of criminal and civil settlements that they paid to civil plaintiffs and primarily to U.S. federal prosecutors. I mean, they've got their own Wikipedia page of shame. You, any of your, your, your um, uh, listeners can search for um, Big Pharma criminal settlements and it'll come up and there are three that have criminal settlements for individual cases that are over $2 billion each. And that's Pfizer, of course, Johnson and Johnson and Glaxo, Smith Klein. Um, and you know, Pfizer had an anti-inflammatory that killed 50,000 people and they knew this was going to happen ahead of time. So, I mean, it is criminal. And, uh, Peter Rost, I quote this uh, frequently. He he was a former Pfizer marketing vice president. He said, it's scary how many similarities there are between this industry and the mob. Obscene amounts of money, killings and deaths, bribing politicians and others. The difference is all these people in the drug industry look upon themselves as law-abiding citizens. However, when they get together as a group, it's almost like when you have war atrocities. People do things they don't think they're capable of because the group can validate what you're doing is okay. And Another, that was from his book, The Whistleblower. Another uh, 
CEO of Park Davis this time named Harry Loyne. He said, if we put horse manure in a capsule, we could sell to 95% of these doctors. So, so these, these people are mobsters. And it's amazing that the um, U.S. federal prosecutors haven't taken them apart uh, because, you know, the Chinese proverb is you kill a chicken to scare the monkey, right? So if, you, if we knocked off one of these companies, uh, then... Um, but the, the, uh, the, the federal prosecutors appear to be ballless, and there's a revolving door between them and, you know, what they do next, which is the defense bar, and then they represent these same companies. The, the hope here is the plaintiff's lawyers, who don't have any conflict of interest, I don't think, except for they want to make as much money as possible. And so my prayer is that Moderna and Pfizer will be taken apart sooner rather than later for their frauds with the vaccine by the plaintiff's lawyers. And the, what they have liability shield, but they don't have a liability shield against intentional misconduct or, you know, murder, for example, you know? And so that's what they've done. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that they can, the plaintiff's lawyers will save the day. They certainly took, the only two pharma companies that they've ever taken apart were um, Purdue Pharma and Incis. I think it's Incis, it, another opioid but, you know, they, those guys had the blood on their hands of hundreds of thousands of Americans for pushing those drugs that they knew were horribly toxic and, and fatal for many. You know, what we've done is we've exposed the entire population um, to opioids and anybody can get a hold of it. And five percent of us, roughly, maybe, are vulnerable to opioids. And then all we do is think about opioids the rest of our lives. I mean, it's it's a crazy, crazy scene. So. The journals are 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 taken. The uh, the medical industry has bought them all. Um, and uh, how do we find good information? Well, I read Substacks, uh, and those are a blog uh, service which is new and it's not censored yet, right? And we're hoping that they don't get purchased by some Silicon Valley jackasses that uh, ruin them somehow. So I'm not saying everything on Substack is good, but you in, in this medical realm, realm you, can, you can find more um, uh, reliable information there than anywhere else. If you're an individual patient and you want to find the truth, my advice, if you, if you don't feel better, if you've got some exotic problem and you're not getting better, you can go around now virtually since Trump gave us the go-ahead uh, when his last year in office to consult virtually on to any person in the country, any, any doctor. And you, you know, for a few hundred or a few thousand dollars, you can get second opinions. And so that's very helpful. The other thing that is new um, in, uh, is the patient advocacy groups. And if you have an oddball diagnosis, or even if you have problems you can't figure out, you can go to these advocacy groups. You can meet people like you, some of whom know more than the doctors about the diseases. And they will help you for free in many cases. These things are set up by the big pharma, but there are there is truth to be found there. So uh, the answer to this question is it's not easy, but it, there's if we're not completely all censored. And if you're if you're interested in healthcare, start with Butchered by Healthcare. I've got 500 references, and you can get the e version. It's only three bucks. Same thing with the hormone secrets. If you think you're if you're over 50 and you have hormonal problems, you can uh, you can look at that. 
remarkable. I mean, just incredible data. And and just like you said, I mean, it is it is hard to decipher, but it is necessary because, like you mentioned, I mean, the money can be integrated in all different you know organizations, whether it's a government organization, whether it's a private. Uh, I've seen some things that are just uh, it just blows my mind. Uh, some credible sources that are just being leveraged the wrong way. And so I'm curious, Robert, when you you know, what, what are some big things that really have hit you the hardest when you were doing a lot of this research and you were really identifying a lot of this and just, you know, like from, from different vaccines to obviously kind of different, you know, products that were being developed that were obviously getting us to be hooked on those for, for many, many years. So we're constantly using them. I mean, what, what were some of the big things that you realized that were like big pharma? This is just, this is unheard of. Well, so uh, Christian, if we were both doctors and I invented a special pill, got it FDA approved. And I said, look, I'll give you 20% off the top if you sell this. That's called capping. It's a federal felony. We could both go to jail in theory if, if there is a real you know, uh, uh, investigation and so on. But uh, one of the things that uh, struck me the, the hardest was when I learned about oncology, which is cancer treatments. Now, these guys have a difficult specialty. They have people who are dying. They have people who are undergoing a lot of psychological stress and they have to deal with it all somehow. But their specialty has been taken over and co-opted by big pharma because there is a loophole in the law somehow that allows pharma to give these guys 20% of the drug sales, right? This is part of the reason why remdesivir was used so much in the hospitals is it's expensive and the hospitals knew they could take 20% off the top and throw it in their, their uh, bottom line. So their top line, I guess. So um, these oncologists are, their, their goal seems to be to fill a large room filled with Barca loungers, you know, the recliners and treat their chemotherapy patients with drugs that cost averaging at least $100,000 a year, which they get 20% of. So, and the worst part, the, the story gets worse. They're rewarded by the milligram. So the drug reps call up the doctors and they say, look, you're at 2,200 milligrams. If you hit 2,600 milligrams for the month, we'll give you a bonus. So they're incentivized by these jackals to give more of these medications that are so toxic and they don't freaking work. They, these guys have five or six disease entities that they can effectively treat and some sometimes cure. The rest, they, they spend their time writing papers about how only, only two months of improved survival um, is affected by chemotherapy. Right. And it, this stuff's worthless. I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't do much good in many cases. It's, this is an art of medicine situation. It, it does help some people, but when it's used indiscriminately for financial ends, you've got a situation where you can almost say that it's the whole effort has been futile. Um, you know, there are people who uh, are saved by a combination of the chemo and they, they do better and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, it takes a lot of experience and it's not a, a moneymaker like it, like put throwing everybody in the room sitting on the Barca loungers is. So, I mean, that's, that's another story. I mean, I can, I can go on about other things that hit me. But well, yeah. I'm curious because, you know, within the last years or the last few years, I've seen a massive, a lot more doctors standing up and saying, hey, this is totally wrong. And, and I've seen that as a, as a big trajectory, which is which is beautiful to see. And that's really alarming as well. It's not just a handful. It's it's a large majority. And so my question to you, Robert, is being in the industry, do these doctors 
are they aware of what they're doing or is it just more of just being incentivized and they're really not aware of all the really intricate things that are in these these devastating uh, pills and, and things like that? No, I think they've been fooled, most of them. Most of them, you know, see, being a doctor is incredibly consuming. What, what happens is, is you're, if, especially if you run a private practice, you've got the administration of the practice. I mean, some of us have wives that did it. Um, you've got uh, essentially a sales process that gets them in the door and you've got keeping up with all the medicine, which is where we should spend our, our time. And you've got the patient interactions, which are often strenuous and sometimes they sue you. And that's very, very hard. So, um, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just not easy. These guys, um, if they've got time to read all this stuff, they're essentially polymaths. I mean, they're brilliant. Uh, but, uh, most of us are, I mean, the average IQ of a physician in America is 130. It's a lot, it's a, there's a million of us and they, we, we're the most elite large group, right? But when you're faced with all this stuff, and I'm going to tell you another story that you're not going to believe. What percent of time do you think has, has been the doctor's fate to do medical record keeping since Obamacare? Just think about your answer for a second and make a wild guess. What percent of the doctor's time do they spend in medical rec record keeping on average now? I'm, I'm going to go something like crazy, like 80% of their time. No, no, no. It's not that high. I mean, you couldn't get okay, anything done, okay. but it's 40 to 50%. Wow. And that, that means that they have to go home and screw around with clicking in all the boxes in order to get paid. Otherwise, they don't get paid. And, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the whole system is designed to keep... You know, the insurance companies, understandably, want to uh, somehow preserve uh, the thing and keep it from falling apart uh, completely. And they try to uh, not not pay out because otherwise the everyone's just a greedy uh, money suck. And that includes the doctors and the hospitals and everybody else. I mean, the physical therapists, everybody wants them, their piece of the pie. So the insurance companies try to keep everybody uh, controlled somehow, and they do it by making it more complex and difficult and crazy to submit your bills, partly. Sometimes they deny bills. I mean, the insurance companies take uh, their 20% off the top. So it's, it's a system that is not in place in any other country. And it is essentially an evil, as far as I can tell. I don't know why those guys have any place in healthcare, um, but it's, it's, it's developed historically that they administrate uh, you know, Medicare and all the private insurances. And sometimes for the private insurances and things like work comp, they take 30% plus off the top. I mean, work comp is 35% drawn into the insurance company's mouths before a dime gets out for patient care or the plaintiff's lawyers who take another, uh, you know, 10 or 15% of the work comp. It's, it's just an insane system. That's, that's the worst. That's the second worst system. You know what the worst healthcare delivery system is, Christian? What just is think it? for a second. Okay. The, the worst is, um, <laughs> the worst is, personal injury. That's the worst because they, they take the money and they split it three ways, right? In theory, the doctor gets a third, the lawyer gets a third and the patient gets a third. <laughs> Can you imagine anything worse than that? And anyway, so, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of problems. Um, well, I'd like to talk about something here because you, you brought up a really good point because I think I think we're seeing a lot of trajectory going toward 
expanding Medicare and Medicaid, free healthcare for for the for the United States, that is specifically. And I'd love to just get your perspective on why or why not that would be a good idea for the that industry. That's a great question. Um, see, the only direction that the okay. So to back up a second, if the medical industry is uh, for is twenty percent of the economy. Clearly, they have the biggest power in Congress and with the executive branch with their, um, uh, what do they call them, lobbyists. They should call it bribery. So they're they're dominant. They're dominant much heavier than oil and natural gas and everything else. So so I'm, I'm sorry. Tell me the question again. I, I got started on this thing on a tangent. No, you're fine. Well, like... A lot of individuals, specifically the Democrat Party, want to expand oh, yeah. Medicare okay. and Medicaid, yeah, Medicare. and okay. they want to have that quote-unquote so, free health care. Yeah. So the only direction that we're allowed to push the changes in health care is towards more money for industry. That's it. And so Obamacare ended up being a net gain for industry. You know, all the complexity and all that, the lobbyists kept them uh, doing that. And so we we have... They're having the healthcare controlled by the government is has been a disaster for three full programs, right? We have three disastrous programs. Some of them are worse than others. We've got the VA, the Indian healthcare, and we got Medicare. And so this is not a brilliant solution for healthcare. And but the problem is this thing has gotten so complex and so technological, and it's so hard to sort out what 50% works and what actually is harmful and doesn't work the 50% that it's we can't we can't go backwards the comp- the countries that have successfully controlled their healthcare have been able to negotiate with these huge corporations at a national level for example the you know they i mean singapore is obviously doing a good job somebody is uh, is in charge of it those guys don't uh, they they get ca- their cancer care and everything else that's so expensive um, and in fact i don't want to present the idea that that all of healthcare is a failure because we do miracles every day. Um, but, um, and, and these, these drug companies, they come up with, with drugs that are miraculous. But the problem is all these medications are used in, indiscriminately and they're, they're shills in medicine. They're doctors who write the standards are completely bought off and they'll, they'll, they'll put down anything they want. And what they want is they want um, indiscriminate use of as many drugs as possible. And that's, you know, psychiatry is a classic example, but oncology is another great example. You know, the, the surgical, there are a lot of surgical problems too. These, you know, the, the practice of surgery is corrupt and it's, it's, it's not scientific either. And I can give examples of that. Um, but, um, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. I appreciate that insight because I think that's that's just a very massive topic. And I know that everybody's leaning toward that. And obviously they need to understand the, the, the repercussions of that. Now, let me ask you, because I do know that you brought up the vaccine and I want to hit on this a little, little, little quickly. Uh, with the vaccine, um, I have not personally have taken it for my own reasons and so forth. However, though, I'd love to hear, have you taken it? And as well as uh, why or why not? Do I look like a complete idiot? <laughs> I love it. I love that answer. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. So, you know, obviously I've never taken the vaccine. I, I was suspicious of the entire effort from the start before I really start. I really got to understand it because they, they said it had 95% efficacy. And I knew that these companies were essentially mobsters and that they had, and it, the question was, did I want an injection of an unknown substance from a mobster when they had a, they have a history of destroying their research results by adulterating the statistics 
you know, bribing their research subcontractors in other countries and even throwing out the uh, half of their research to make make the, the drugs look good. Um, the, the HPV vaccine, human papillomavirus vaccine, which you probably have gotten, uh, that stuff uh, is ubiquitously used in America and Europe. But in Japan, somebody has a brain. They looked at the studies and they realized 50% were destroyed, were never revealed. So when, when you see that, you realize that Nietzsche has a maximum about this. I'm not unhappy that you lied to me. I'm unhappy that I can never trust you again. So, you know, you got to trust but verify with these guys. And if they, if they conceal something, that's the same as another lie. So the HPV vaccine is... Is, is toxic, it has a high side effect profile, and in my opinion, it should never be used. So, the, the, okay, back to the uh, COVID vaccine. So, I mean, we have enormous amount of data about the COVID vaccine that suggests that it is, it, it should not, never be used either. I mean, it's just, it, it's, it, it's just shocking how much data we have. I mean, we've got the VAERS database, which you probably heard about. It's the, there's, okay, and then we've got, um, the whistleblower database from uh, Senator Johnson with, with, that shows in younger people, you know, the military age people, that there are many, many, many diseases that increase dramatically. It's circumstantial evidence, but they've increased dramatically during the period of the, vaccine, vac the COVID vaccine availability. We, we've got, I mean, we've got population-wide uh, evidence of increased mortality of 40% in, in 2020, 2021, um, which is uh, heavy, heavy evidence that the vaccine, which was the, the huge thing that was different, is toxic. We've got anecdotes from uh, Europe and the United States of all these people dropping dead from the vaccine and getting horrible diseases like uh, myocarditis. Um, so, I mean, there, there's just substantial data. Uh, for millennials, the increase in mortality uh, was about 84%. Now, just think about that. I mean, you guys don't drop dead very often, but if you double the chances of dropping dead, that's a, a tremendously dramatic thing. I mean, Pfizer's been forced to release these uh, documents by a court order, and they've gotten, we got 2.5% now. And basically, I hope this this will get the plaintiffs or, or uh, uh, attorneys going, because the VAX was a killer from the start, and they knew all about it from the start. And so we've got, as you've no noted, we've got uh, influential doctors like this, John Campbell. They're outraged and they didn't, they, they're like Winnie the Pooh. They had to go around the circle three or four times before they figured it out. But he's going public now. He's, he's got a huge following. And for some reason, they haven't taken him down off YouTube. I, I don't know why. Uh, but uh, so, no, I, I've never taken the vaccine. I, I didn't understand it that well. I was very suspicious until... Six months ago, when I uh, started looking at this stuff and fell out of my chair, and the the data has grown more and more substantial, and more and more people understand it. But the the censorship is still ongoing, and I mean, frankly, I think these uh, drug companies are just opportunistic. I don't think that they, uh, and they're they're basically a, a bunch of uh, low grade criminals compared to the the main mobsters who seem to be perpetrating the agenda, which Peter Bregan calls these guys the global predators, right? Mm -hmm. Peter's global predators, uh, COVID-19 and the global predators, we are the prey. That's his book. And this thing describes the thing, the, the whole pandemic from start to finish with a thousand plus references, maybe 2000. 
Um, so uh, I, you can get, get this on Amazon. Amazon, fortunately, hasn't censored RFK Jr.'s book or this thing off, which I'm okay. sure you're familiar with RFK Jr.'s book, The Real Anthony Fauci. That, yes, thing, yes. that thing is the likely the worldwide bestseller, period, for the last four or five months. But of course, you know, the New York Times doesn't review it because they, you know, they're, they're bought and paid for too. So, so there's well, plenty of references. Go ahead. Yeah, and I really appreciate diving into this because, I mean, uh, it's needed to be said. And I know that obviously there's a lot of censorship and a lot of propaganda that's going on. And that's one of the reasons why I asked, you know, how do you how do you decipher? How do you go through all this information? And so, Robert, you know, I just really uh, appreciate all your time and energy and diving into this stuff and really just tearing an incredible amount of resources, giving us amount of resources. Uh, Robert, how does some of our audience reach out to you and gather some of the resources that you have? Uh, how do they reach out to you? Okay, so it's robertyoho.substack.com is my blog, and it's got audio on there too. And then I have, uh, I've got a uh, BuzzFeed uh, audio, which is now, I mean, I'm a small animal Christian. I've got 8,500 downloads total. And then it's robertyohoauthor.com, robertyohoauthor.com. You can get into the rest of my material and uh, get summaries of the whole thing. And, and you can, you know, if you don't want to read these books, I've got uh, links to summaries, which are easy to, easy to read and easy to understand. And we'll stick some stuff in the show notes as well. Yeah, guys, those uh, those links will actually be in the description below. So make sure you uh, check out all those those links. It is very, very important, not just for you, but your family, your friends, your your coworkers and stuff like that. And, and just people that are really infiltrated with that propaganda and making sure that you actually share with the, the truth. Uh, and Robert, again, I really appreciate you, you being on. This is really awesome. Now, um, are there any last words that you'd like to share with our with our audience before we let you go, my man? <laughs> so... Um... I, I forgot the disclaimer at the start. So let me just do that. This is not medical care. Use this material at your own risk. I got to do this because of the uh, plaintiff's attorneys. And um, if you have medical problems, you need to see a licensed provider and uh, take their advice. And the, the, the last message is don't give up on healthcare completely. And the just because there are problems in aircraft design, that doesn't mean that magic carpets fly. Right. And so I'm not an alternative guy. I, there are there are many things that have been concealed because they can't be patented. But uh, generally, um, alternative medicine is is questionable uh, to put the best possible spin on it. Awesome. Guys, that is Robert Yoho. Make sure you reach out, make sure you connect with him and make sure you consume some of his content, incredible resources. Guys, that is Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. Until next time, remember, be uncommon if you can.